Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. Today on 30 Minutes, we feature excerpts from National Park Service interpreter Guy Washington presenting The Quest for Freedom Moves West, African Americans in the New Mexico and Arizona Territories. Washington's lecture highlights the experiences of some well-known and unsung African American heroes who played a role in the New Mexico Territory and the Arizona Territory. African diaspora began for the Spanish slaves, enslaved people, in Florida, what today we know as the state of Florida. And I want to tell you a story about one individual who has been um, portrayed in, in accounts. You might see films about him, a man named Estevan, Estevancio, a very, very significant African man. Estevan was originally from the North African country of Morocco. He was captured. He was enslaved. He was brought by the Spanish across the Atlantic Ocean to Florida. He was part of a Spanish colony there. They wanted Estevan to cut down the trees and build houses for him and then go out and work the crops and haul the water and do all that stuff while they sat around and explored this new world. Well, a disease hit them and most of them died. And before too long, out of a large party of Spanish and enslaved Africans, including Estevan, there were only four people left, Estevan and three of the Spanish men. They couldn't defend themselves. They were captured by an Indian tribe. They were enslaved. How ironic. Estevan now is enslaved twice, and his enslavers are now enslaved too. They escaped. These four men escaped and began a journey that lasted eight years and took them from Florida all the way across the United States, across the Gulf states, all the way down to Spanish Mexico, a journey that lasted eight years. They finally made it to a Spanish colony in Mexico, and Estevan began to tell them this story that he picked up. He said he learned on his journey across the country, the continent of North America, about this famous place, famous golden cities called the Seven Cities of Cibola. Everything in the city, all the buildings were made of gold. All the streets were lined with gold. Everyone wore gold. The Spanish valued gold very greatly. This was a myth. Estevan told them what they wanted to hear so that he could go away from them and explore some more. So they, a, a party was sent to look for these seven cities of Cibola. And thus, Estevan is the first African-descended man to step foot in what we now know as the state of Arizona. Arizona, New Mexico, Estevan a man who made it all the way from North Africa, through Florida, across the continent, was the very first African-descended man to step foot in this area, way back in approximately 1535, approximately 500 years ago, Estevan came here to North America. The Spanish set up colonies all over. And I live in California, and that, of course, was originally a Spanish colony. 1776 is a big year for us in the United States. We celebrate that year. We celebrate our Declaration of Independence, where we, as colonies of Britain, made a statement, a written document, saying we will no longer be your slaves. We will be free as 13 colonies. We will be our own nation. We'll call ourselves the United States of America. 
that very same year, 1776, beginning in Mexico. And I mentioned this place earlier, and I wanted to see if anyone knew. It's a national park site down on the uh, southern border of Arizona called Tumacacari. That party of Spanish explorers led by a man named Juan Batista de Anza came through Tumacacari, across the desert, uh, out to the coast of California, and up to the area we now know as San Francisco. They established a city, they established a mission, they established a military fort. This is my home area. So the original European settlers established that area at the very same time we thought we were doing pretty well by establishing a new country on the other side. I mentioned this De Anza Trek because a number of the participants, a number of the soldiers, a number of the settlers, they had farmers, they had women, they had children of that party, were again African descended people. So the original European settlement in California included African descended people. Again, another leg of the African diaspora, another leg of the journey from Africa to ultimate freedom wherever that could be found. So in 1776, they established that colony with African members. They intermarried, and after several generations, most of those people that had descended from the mixed group of African and Spanish people sort of forgot the African part of their connection. And a lot of times today, if you talk to descendants of this party, they won't even recognize that they indeed had African ancestors as well. They, they look at their skins and they look at their food and their language and they say, we're descended from people of Spain. Mm. That's true, but we're also descended from people of Africa. Say it again, say it again. There you go. We want to tell the truth as best we understand it. And it's very difficult sometimes for us to learn a truth that's different from the one we already view, how we view ourselves or how others have viewed themselves. But indeed, you could call it an example of passing because they don't recognize that. So they recognize the European connection, but they don't value the African connection. And why shouldn't they? Because so many things have come to us from Africa. So much music, so much of our oral traditions, so many of our legends, so much of our food. I don't know how many of you eat okra or greens. Hold your hand up if you eat fried chicken. <laughs> Guess where that came from? Africa. So there are many parts of culture that were embraced, but the African individual was rejected. The brown-skinned person was rejected, but the valuable parts of the culture were adopted, and eventually people didn't even remember where they came from. They just thought they were their own. So, Africans had made it to the United States, and of course slavery in North America was a little bit different. The slavery that I talked to you about a little earlier was the most horrific form of it. It was actually worse in Brazil, where they generally had sugar plantations, and they liked young African men. They didn't want women, they didn't want children, they just work them in the sugarcane fields until they dropped dead and then they'd send another ship over and bring another haul of young, strong, healthy people over to work again. But in North America, we had the African families begin to develop, African-American, what we know as African-American families. And by the end of slave times in this country, they'd reached approximately four million people. Now I'd like to tell you about another fella. Anybody ever heard of the African-American slave known as York? York was part of the Lewis and Clark expedition. 
Lewis and Clark are celebrated in the National Park Service system. Way back in the early 1800s, President Jefferson purchased a large parcel of land from the French, known as the Louisiana Purchase. He bought this big bunch of land, but in those days there were no airplanes, there were no interstates, there were no road maps. He sent a party of about 35 people, scientists, military people, people good in cooking, people good in, in uh, huntsmen, killing game, all this group known as the Corps of Discovery, sent them west to see what this land, what was on this land that the United States had bought from France. They traveled from St. Louis, Missouri, on the Mississippi River, all the way out to the west coast, Oregon, and back again. And in two years, with all that distance of traveling across the country, if you went in your car today, and you just went one direction on the interstate as fast as you could from St. Louis to Oregon, it'd take you about two days. Now imagine going on foot. They had canoes, they had um, dugouts, but mostly they walked the whole distance. And in that party was a very, very valuable individual, a man named York. York was enslaved to one of the men. He was enslaved to William Clark. He was his slave, so he, he went along with him. And they had a dog as well. York had a very large dog that accompanied him. So York was very brave. He was tremendously strong, and he was treated as an equal on this party. He suffered the same hardships, he ate the same food, and the Indians, tribes that they met along the way, just like with Esteban, considered him something very unusual because of his appearance, and maybe thought he was some kind of spirit. Have you ever seen the Kachina dolls, where they have the black Kachina doll? These black figures in the Kachinas and in Indian culture were considered gods. So York actually saved the party from a lot of difficulties. He went all the way out there with them, came all the way back. Only one person died. He dies of an illness. No one was killed by any hostile Indians. And when they got back, York went to Mr. Clark and humbly said, Well, Mr. Clark, I've served you faithfully, and we've had all these hardships and adventures together. May I please have my freedom? And Mr. Clark said to York, absolutely not. I own you. I owned you before we went. I owned you while we were out there. We're back home now. Everything's like it used to be. And York wrote letters to other peop influential people. And he worked very, very hard. And he was granted his freedom. But that was quite unusual because he was property. York was property, and he was very valuable property because he could produce things for his owner. So he was not given his freedom until much, much later. At that same time, other African-descended men began to journey to the West. They were known as mountain men and fur trappers. So now the United States knows that there's area out there with wonderful resources, beautiful streams full of beaver. Beaver were very valuable to people because they liked to make hats out of them in those days. Other animal skins could be made into coats, raccoon skin coat, a variety of other coats from animal pelts. So these trapping parties would go out there, stay, they would capture the animals, they would kill the animals of course, skin them, dry out the fur of the animal, bring that back to places like St. Louis, sell it for a very high uh, return. And among one of those uh, early people involved in fur trade was a man named James Beckworth. Mm -hmm. Beckwith, Beckworth, 
His name is pronounced in a variety of ways. He wasn't passing. Uh, James Beckworth blazed new trails, and he hunted these animals for their fur, and he established passes. He's a famous figure in California. The, uh, one of the most important passes across the mountain range to California, between here and California, was blazed by him. James Beckworth was an early pioneer involved in this African diaspora, this movement of African-descended people. And Edward Rose was another of these early men. Edward Rose was from, uh, Beckworth was from Virginia. Edward Rose was from Missouri. He too headed west. And they blazed a lot of the trails. And if you go on the interstate, to a variety of places out here in the West. I saw a road from this area, Highway 8, leading to San Diego. That's the California Trail. That's the old California Trail going through Yuma and up to Los Angeles. If you go the other way, from here to St. Louis, you're on the old Santa Fe Trail. So these trails were developed by mountain men and early explorers and early tra traders. You're listening to 30 Minutes on KXCI Tucson, featuring National Park Service interpreter Guy Washington presenting The Quest for Freedom Moves West, African Americans in the New Mexico and Arizona Territories. Slavery in Mexico. So we know that Spanish had slaves, but they were kind of nice to the slaves. In the 1820s, something very important happened in Mexico. There was a revolution and they threw off the Spanish government. And the flag that we see, the Mexican flag today, is the flag of the Mexican Revolution of the 1820s. And one of the very first acts of one of the very first presidents of Mexico, President Guerrero, a name that's very common where I live, a lot of streets named for President Guerrero, President Guerrero abolished slavery in Mexico. That meant no Indians could be slaves to the missions, to the church. That meant no African people could be slaves. So they abolished slavery. However, right next door to Mexico, along the Rio Grande River, is one of our largest states. How many people have seen movies about the Alamo? Anybody seen a movie about the Alamo? You know the story of that one? The Alamo is the story of a place in Texas when Americans came down to Texas and decided to carve out a piece of Mexico. They said, well, we want this to be our own colony. And surely we'll pay homage to the government. We'll listen to what the Mexican government says. And we'll all become Catholics. And we'll all marry Mexican women. And we'll follow the laws of Mexico. Well, it wasn't too long before they said, they had guns. They said, well, this is ours now. This gun says it's mine and try and take it away from me. And we got some new rules here. We're not going to speak Spanish. We're, we're going to marry who we want. We're not going to be Catholic. And most importantly for the story we're talking about today, we're bringing some slaves down here. We're growing some products here. We're going to go cotton here. We're going to grow a variety of agricultural products. And this led to some serious conflict between the United States, these American citizens were backed by the U.S. government, and the Mexican citizens and the Mexican government. And it led to a war, the War of, of Texas Independence. Texas became its own republic, known as the Lone Star State. If you've ever seen the Texas flag, it has one star, the Texas Republic. And began to bring, these Texans began to bring in slaves to do all their work, just as in other places in the country. No longer would Mexico have a say in that area. 
Mexico, of course, was very unhappy about this, and they fought back, but they fought back in a subtle way originally. They welcomed any slaves who chose to run across that border to Mexico. They would now be free. They would now be protected. They wouldn't have to go back to Texas or any place else where someone was going to enslave them. We estimate today over 5,000 African-American slaves made it down to Mexico. I've been across the border to a place called Cojillo in Mexico, and we still have the descendants of these African people there. They aren't passing for anything except what they are, mixed race people. They speak Spanish. They're cowboys, they're Mexican cowboys. But when I visited their villages, they still wear the same kind of African clothing that the people in my village in West Africa wear. Their clothing had carried along with them. They still eat the same kind of foods. They're eating fried chicken and okra and greens and beans just like we'd eaten in Africa. But they are citizens of Mexico. So the Underground Railroad story of the West, this movement of people escaping slavery, does not go to Canada. But if you're living here in this part, southern part of the United States, the easiest way to get your freedom, head down to Mexico. Well, that caused conflict with the American government, between the American government and the Mexican government. These are property. These people are very valuable, and now they're getting away, and we're not getting any money back from them, and we've got to do this work ourselves. We've got to buy somebody else to do the work. That led to a very important event in 1846 known commonly as the Mexican War, the war between the United States and Mexico. It was really an unfair war because the United States had much more modern weapons, they had a much more organized army, and they invaded Mexico, took over Mexico City, the capital of Mexico, subjugated the Mexican people, and forced them to sign a treaty in 1848. That treaty has an effect on who we are here today. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if it hadn't been for that war, if we were all sitting here in this room, I'd be talking to you in Spanish, and you would be understanding me in Spanish, because this was originally Spanish territory. But as a result of that war, Mexico had to give up this territory. The United States made two new territories, names that are familiar to us today. They began to call these territories the Utah Territory and the New Mexico Territory. And the states that are a part of that territory are, are our neighbor states today. Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, California. Six of those states that we have out here in the West were originally part of Mexico and came as a result of that war. And remember that war was pretty much provoked by this issue of freedom for Africans in the New World. So now we have these territories. And what do we do? Do we allow slavery here? Well, in some cases, uh, they did not. California, as part of the treaty, was made a state. So we had territories, and now we have California as a state. California, according to law, did not have slavery. When it was established, no slavery. The territories, you could bring your slaves here into New Mexico and Arizona, but you could not bring them into California. I've given you some information. I won't take too much time up talking about that, but you can see from my Underground Railroad brochure on California that indeed hundreds and thousands of Africans were brought to California as slaves. And just like they worked in Virginia and just like they worked in Texas, they were owned by other people. 
and oftentimes they ran away. Sometimes they ran to Canada. Sometimes they ran to Mexico. Sometimes they ran to areas where no one would chase them down. Gold, 1849 was a big California gold rush where thousands of people came in from all parts of the world. And among those people who came were people who stood up for the freedom of these enslaved Africans. White people, black people, Indian people, and just as importantly, remember Mexico was very much against slavery, people of Mexican and Spanish ancestry always stood up for the freedom of African people in California. So we had an underground railroad movement. In Ohio, in Ripley, Ohio, in 1830s, the slave catchers were chasing a man to the Ohio River. If he got across that river, just like the Rio Grande River between the United States and Mexico, if he got across that Ohio River, he would be free. He would be free in uh, the state of Ohio, coming from Kentucky. So all he had to do was cross the river, but they're fast on his trail with the horses, with the dogs, with the guns. They want to recapture him. They get a reward if they recapture him. Well, he got there to the shore ahead of him, and he just disappeared. Just vanished. No one knew what happened to him, so they said among themselves, he must have escaped on some kind of underground. They thought there must have been a tunnel he went under. And then gradually this term became commonly used to describe the Underground Railroad. Did people use the railroad? Well, you know they did. Sometimes people would sneak on trains with a disguise. Sometimes they would pass, where someone might look like a white person but be a black person, a slave. Well, they would put on the clothes of a white person, and they would act like a white person, and they would go up and buy a ticket and take that trip just bold as anything. But sometimes they had to hide in the boxcar or underneath or on the roof. They used the railroad. They used ships. They walked. They uh, went in wagons. There were as many ways as there were to escape. That's how many ways people use. So we call it the Underground Railroad, but it's a variety of ways. It's really a movement, a movement to help people escape to freedom. Brigham Young was a leader of a religious group called uh, Latter-day Saints of Jesus Christ. We just generally call them Mormons. They are a religious group. They started in the East, but they made their way to the West and they felt that they were being persecuted, so they decided to establish their own country, a place they called Deseret, and their symbol was the beehive. That place today is known as Salt Lake City. It's in Utah. So in the Utah Territory, way back in the old days, when Mexico had ceded this area to the United States, all these Mormons came from all across the country and set up their own little kingdom, and they set up their own little government. And Brigham Young was the leader of this group. He had many, many wives. That disturbed a lot of people. He had multiple wives and slew of children. Among those people that lived with Brigham Young was a slave known as Green Flake. Green Flake came to that area as Brigham Young's slave. A number of other African Americans were brought there as slaves. But in 1862, slavery was abolished. So Greenflake was no longer a slave, he was just a servant. Greenflake was not free to come and go as he chose. Greenflake didn't own any money, couldn't marry who he wanted, but the name, the title of his service had changed. He's not a slave now because that's illegal. He was a servant. There was a group of Mormons that came up from Mississippi, a long, long journey by land. 
They were known as Mississippi Saints. They came overland from Mississippi, and along with them, they brought their group of slaves, herding the cattle, holding the babies, cooking the food. They brought those slaves up to Utah with them. And in 1862, when they were given their freedom and they became servants, a number of those Mormons came down to Southern California and established a town called San Bernardino, a place I spent a lot of time, a real nice place out in the California desert, very much like the environment you have here, dry, uh, warm in the daytime, cool at night. Biddy Mason was one of those women. She was a slave that came all the way from Georgia. She made it to Mississippi, sold several times until she found her way to Mississippi. She went up to Utah with Brigham Young. She herded cattle. She uh, took care of babies. And when they went to San Bernardino, she became a slave there. But she didn't want to go to Texas with the owner, so she asked for her freedom. The owner would not give it to her. You're too valuable. I can't let you go. She sued in court for her freedom, and she was actually granted her freedom. Biddy Mason valued that freedom to a great deal. She was a very kind and generous person. She lived in what today is downtown Los Angeles, the old Spanish Pueblo. Biddy Mason bought land there, land that would be worth hundreds of millions of dollars today. And when she sold it, it was very valuable land. She took that money and she helped poor people. She helped women that had children without husbands. She helped sick people. She helped old people. She knew the value and the importance of freedom. And that is really one of the most important things that we talk about here today, is the story of freedom. I would like to now just jump ahead to the end of the Civil War and the establishment of agriculture here. Did slavery exist out here in this area? Well, of course it did. We've talked some about slavery here. These stories are still to be uncovered. We need to do much work. I looked around today, and Stephen was telling me that Eloy, Eloy is a town not so far from here. And what's the main product, of agricultural product of Eloy? Cotton. Cotton was, of course, one of those products that the slaves produced down in Texas, in Arkansas, and in Louisiana. So in the days, in the... In the 1900s, when African people, now free, were brought here, they were still doing the same work that they'd done in the old slave times. And they had a system known as sharecropping, where you were tied to the land and you were not free to come and go as you chose. So slavery is something that we fight throughout history. It just changes, it morphs from one form into another. And just as we had to fight slavery in the old days, we fight it today. Have you heard about the children of Asia that work in what we call sweatshops? They produce shoes. That cotton that's grown out there, that goes to China. And you have children locked up in a workshop at a machine making clothes. They're not free to come and go. They don't get to go to school. They don't, they don't get to choose what they do with their life. They're stuck there working for no, virtually no wages as slaves. So indeed, just as slavery still exists in Africa today, and slavery still exists in uh, China, there are a variety of forms of enslavement right here in our country. Even in this United States of America, where we think we celebrate freedom and justice for all, there are many people who are not free to come and go. Many people who can't work for themselves, get educated, marry who they choose, 
to make their own destiny, to do the fun work that I got to do, to go to national parks and, and to visit Africa. They're not free. So slavery is an evil that we must fight at all times, and we must do a couple of things. We must learn from the examples of history, so we must learn these stories and tell them to our children, and we must, as individuals, take the examples of how people fought against slavery and continue the struggle, the eternal struggle of freedom and justice for all. That was National Park Service interpreter Guy Washington presenting The Quest for Freedom Moves West, African Americans in the New Mexico and Arizona Territories. Washington's lecture highlights the experiences of some well-known and unsung African-American heroes who played a role in the New Mexico Territory and the Arizona Territory. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager.